0: Hi, and welcome to Real Trail Talk. I'm Donovan D'Souza from The Long Way's Better. And I'm Mark
1: Pybus from The Life of Pie. Welcome to episode eight. This week we'll be talking about summer hiking activities you can do on Rotnest, also getting into some Q&A, and coming up to Christmas, we'll talk about some gift ideas for anyone who's interested in hiking. So Donovan, you recently visited Rotnest. Yes, I did. Um, took in a couple of trails um what did you think of the the wadjamup biddy
0: which is the trail network over there so i did two of the trails on the island i think one of them we've both done and you have done two different ones that i haven't and one that i've done that you haven't done um and i must say i was very impressed i think that they've done quite a good job especially i think in the summer months when it starts to warm up It's hard to find good walking that's not too far from Perth without having to drive to Margaret River or to Albany or any of the places that we've talked about in previous podcasts. (laughs) And having that ability to do a walk that still looks awesome and isn't dry because it's the end of spring is a real bonus. And I think that the trails there, what they've done is really fantastic.
1: Yeah, so it's a fairly new initiative. I think they've got an injection of money to turn. There was walking trails already exist. I think there was a Bickley loop trail and another one that went around the lakes. But it wasn't really given a formal trail network until recently. Um, mm-hmm. And they've, yeah, done a really good job. And as you said, it's a lot cooler over there being, you know, 20 k's offshore and it's normally, what, two, three, four degrees cooler Perth. Yeah, I than think Perth. so. So yeah, as a summer destination, it's quite nice and doesn't really matter if it's green or not because you've got the ocean there and you've got sand and beaches. So it's yeah a different backdrop to what we'd normally get in WA.
0: Definitely. As as I think I said in a previous podcast, and it's not technically true, but rocks are forever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if it's rugged, it will look beautiful all, all year round. Yeah, these kind of rocks,
1: so the limestone doesn't tend to last as long <laughs> as the granite. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> Touche. Uh, so I guess we'll we'll talk about the, the hike that we've both done on Rottenest,
0: which is the Gabby Carnini. Yep, Gabby Canini Biddy, which was the first was that the first one that was made? I'm not entirely sure. It's the one that Trails WA promote as their top trail. Yeah. Right? Because I think it probably is the most um it's the most convenient. It starts at the settlement and it goes in a loop, whereas the others are linear trails. And it's probably a bit different than the others in that it goes through the inland section of the lakes and then loops along the coast. So you get a bit of bit of different things in there.
1: Yeah. So this is the walk I was talking about in episode two. So I think I mentioned this one as the Nackyurabitty. So I apologize to everyone listening. I was actually talking about the Gabby Um So as I called it in episode two, it's kind of like the highlights package of Rottnest. So you've got... The lakes, which are kind of a bit of an, an unknown to most people. They just think about quokkas and beaches and snorkeling. And then it loops around to the coast and you get the nice bays. Um,
0: There's uh, Geordie Bay and, Geordie Bay, that's the one. and Longreach Bay and the, and the famous, the Basin, which is a really nice spot for families. Yeah,
1: and then you also get Pinkies Beach and the
0: Bathurst Lighthouse, yeah. um,
1: which is a famous um, landmark in, in Rottnest. So starting in the settlement, the trailhead um, was there when you, you were up there, weren't you? Yeah, learning.
0: it's quite a, quite a massive trailhead and it's quite hard to miss. And it's right near where all the food court mall area is. Mm. So it's, it's really easy to, I think once you get off the ferry, to go straight to there and get going. And while the trailhead is for all the trails, only two really start here, don't they? It's just this one and the Nyak Yerobidi that start actually start at this point.
1: Yeah. Um, when I was there the the trohead wasn't there, but I think the Nyak Yerobidi it may start there now, but it started like I don't know, fifty meters down the oh, down okay. the pass on the beach. But yeah, those two definitely within the settlement start there and this one being unique is it's a loop back to the settlement so mm. it doesn't require a bus pass or you know trying to link up with other trails to get get back to the main jetty
0: yeah and so once it leaves the settlement it kind of goes through the vlaming memorial lookout mm-hmm. which uh honors willem de vlaming who was the the dutch explorer
1: yeah who was on one of the first expeditions mm-hmm. and i think it was was it him that gave rot nest its name yes the the rat's nest
0: yes <laughs> Because he thought the Waukawkas were all rats. Yeah,
1: giant rats. And as we know now, they're, they're kind of just very cute mammals that
0: like to beg and pose for photos <laughs> and selfies. Yeah, total example of island tameness. Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, that lookout gives you kind of, it's a limestone kind of feature at the top and it gives you a nice overlook of the island. Um, even though it's not too far from the settlement, you're actually quite high up and you get to kind of see where you're going for the rest of the hike. Hmm. And then moving on, this is where we came across the, the only traffic jam I've ever seen on Nest. Oh, really? <laughs> so, where the, there's a road and a T-junction and the kind of little bridge um, leading off. And yeah, there was a few confused tourists and cars and bikes and everything. And I think we ended up waiting there for a couple of minutes, <laughs> even though we're on foot. But then that's when you truly get into the lake system, which... Yeah. Prior to going to Rottnest, I didn't really know there was a prevalent lake system there.
0: Mm, I, I agree with you. Before I heard about this walk, when I saw it on the Trails WA web- website, I was surprised that they were saying, oh, the Lakes District, what's this? You know, this is a mm. coastal place. There's always beaches, as far as I knew. So it was really interesting to see that these lake communities are sort of, of I think they're of national significance, not international, but Yep, almost. Almost. Yeah.
1: Yeah, they are used by migratory um, birds, so mm. obviously very important. But yeah, as, as you said, like I just thought the inland of Rotnest was you got a golf course and an airport, and that was about it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, it was a, a very pleasant surprise to see the lakes because there are actually there's different um, feels to each of the lakes. You've got a mm. very salty one. Um, there's the one that they call the Pink Lake. Mm. Was that pink when you visited? It was. It was, lucky you.
0: Yeah, it was very pink. Um, and what I felt was that it was really nice because yes, there are probably better pink lakes in WA that are much bigger, Mm -hmm. but the fact that you can just walk past this one and it's so convenient to get to from Perth makes it really a fantastic sight on the walk. Yeah. And the walks aren't shy about taking you right up to the lakes as well. I mean, the
1: the trails kind of crisscross in and once you're off the main roads, it's actually quite pleasant just to walk in and there's birds splashing around the water and, they're generally pretty calm as well. So mm. you get the reflection from the clouds. It's just pleasant.
0: One of the things I found quite interesting is that the birds are like the same color as the little pebbles along the, mm. the lake. And it looked as if the rocks were, were dancing almost because <laughs> you're looking at this and it's like the rocks are jumping up and down. And um, yeah, it's just, it just was a really cool experience seeing that. Yeah, they're very,
1: very active little
0: finches, I want to say. Yeah, I think so. They're yeah. very little. And when you were
1: there, did one of the lakes have a lot of foam on it that kept blowing onto the trail?
0: <laughs> no, I think we've had quite a different experience. <laughs> it, was, it was quite
1: fun because you know, there's a section where you go up, it's not very high vertically, but you're up um, next to the wind turbine and you just see foam and, um, yeah, like suds just in the grasses. You know, where does that coming from? And then you wander down, there's this one lake that one side is just that foam, you know, when you get kind of like that cappuccino froth in some of the rivers down south Mm. it's kind of like that and then the wind being quite strong on the island just yeah blows it off into the bushes
0: so what time of year did you go that it was like that
1: i went in september for this walk okay um so yeah i mean i didn't get to see the pink lake but we got the foam so there's the trade-off yeah
0: (laughs) and when you went to the bit of the the lake that had the boardwalk. Was the water underneath the boardwalk? Because when we were there, they, you know, they they much heralded, oh, walking on water experience. Mm. We didn't get that because the the lake had dried up to a point and you were walking along the shore, not over the water.
1: Okay, I think our experience was over the water. Nice. Um, Yeah, and it was sort of a little bit calm. So I was looking for that photo where you got the mirror finish, clouds, you know, fluffy white clouds and the boardwalk. And I think I've got it. It's not like, picture picture perfect but it's pretty close mm. and then yeah then when you get to the boardwalk that kind of inland area where you've got the the windswept trees which is have a lot of character to them mm. um yeah you're thinking walking on right nest you wouldn't really see
0: too many trees and shrubs but yeah they've certainly got stories to tell and those trees I, i'm pretty sure that in the days before european settlement there were a lot more of them because i think the early explorers often talked about it as being quite forested but then people came they burnt the forest and rottenness was not of the forest that recovers quickly no because it's, it's uh it's quite a different it's interesting how different the flora is there compared to the just where Fremantle is mm. it's quite significantly different
1: Indeed. and then when i was there i was reading that yeah they used to have native pines mm. which would have been quite a sight to see having an island full of native pines especially in WA where we don't normally get them yeah yeah it's just sad that kind of Rottnest was the first place to like be developed and be kind of a hub and have a lot of people on it because it would have been nice to to see those pines
0: Mm. but I think that what they've done you know they may have gotten rid of all the trees but they've done a good job in terms of maintaining these sort of coastal heath and, and the samphire. Mm. Samphire growing along the, the lakes, like Lake Baghdad, were quite impressive.
1: Yeah, not not Lake Baghdad in Iraq, but we have our own Baghdad in <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in WA, and it's a lot more pleasant. <laughs> I wonder how their name came about. Yeah, it's, you would think it would be have its origins kind of with the Iraqi capital, but... Maybe who oh, yeah. knows? Again, we've discussed many weird names on this podcast. Some
0: slightly racist names, so it yeah. could maybe be in a bit of a a in to who oh, knows, or maybe the birds come from yeah the Middle East. Maybe the, that yeah. would be a nice poetic reason. Be. Yeah. Mm. Before we talk about the lakes, I guess the wind turbine here is an infamous wind turbine because it was the one that Tony Abbott found very offensive. Mm-hmm. And what were your thoughts about the wind turbine?
1: Yeah, as I've said before, I love it. I mean, it provides power. Rotteness is a very windy place, so why would you not take advantage of that? And just like the, the wind farms down in Albany, it provides mm. a feature. So you're kind of reminded that power just doesn't come out of nowhere. You kind of have to generate it somehow, so... And what would you rather have, that or a coal-fired power station on the island? Definitely a coal-fired power station, because that provides jobs and growth and... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and it's so
0: not unsightly at all. No.
1: Um, yeah, no, no danger of getting uh, the black lung from <laughs> a wind <laughs> turbine. But I would like to see them put maybe a solar farm right near the airport, because mm. they've cleared a lot of area and it is open, I and mean, it's not a busy airport, and that would, you know... Gets a lot of sun because be WA is a very
0: sunny place. Yeah, and that's something I think I should say doing the walk in November is that while, yes, you can do it in sort of late spring, summer, wear a hat and have long sleeves. We didn't do that and we deeply Ooh. regretted that.
1: Well, you guys have a history of getting I burnt know. on every bushwalks. Every time,
0: <laughs> every time we go, go do these coastal walks, I forget. I left, we were worried about being late for the ferry. Mm. Alyssa had her hat. I mm. had mine in the car and I forgot it. And I immediately regretted it when we got there and there was no cloud cover because they said it was going to rain and it didn't. Mm, still, <laughs> even
1: with cloud cover, you can get burnt. I know. And um, just for the listeners' pleasure, do you want to describe your hiking hat?
0: <laughs> it is the daggiest hat in the history of hats. Oh, I wouldn't
1: go that far. No. But no. Um, what would it be? It's a cross between a legionnaire's and like a fisherman's <laughs> cap.
0: Yeah, it's it's very broad brim in the front and a party in the back. That's it, how I'd describe it. It's not bad. And as you, if you've
1: seen photos from our Sterling Ridge walk, he's wearing it then. And I don't think it looks that bad. It kind of reminds <laughs> me of like a Paddington bear hat.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 it does actually look quite Paddington. I, I, I think it looks pretty silly, but I completely approve of its functionality which um, i must say i thoroughly endorse this hat i have not been paid by mountain design to say (laughs) that but it's a really fantastic hat
1: yeah i mean if you didn't already have one i would look at getting one myself (laughs) (laughs) but then moving on so you kind of reach the coast Mm. and kind of the the more of the wow moments come that you're expecting from this type of walk um, you've got, is it Lorikeet Bay?
0: Yes, it kind of goes past like Little Lorikeet Bay.
1: Yeah, which is a very popular wedding venue, we were told by the bus driver. Oh, okay. um, very picturesque, but we um, we were there in the afternoon, so I was shooting into the sun, so I didn't quite capture oh, the right. magic. But I can imagine at
0: sunset, pink skies, it'd be very magical there. Mm. And you kind of get that first glimpse of the... the rugged limestone coastline there which is so nice mm.
1: and i'm glad instead of going along the road they actually take you up onto the cliffs um, oh definitely yeah so i got a few pictures of my girlfriend kind of pointing at geordie bay just because i told her
0: to Oh, doing, doing the famous point <laughs> the point you have to be
1: doing something in my photos and pointing is normally one of those things yeah um but yeah and yeah geordie bay that's kind of that's nest to me when i think of like picture postcard perfect moments yeah Um, Yeah, Gentle Bay, kind of turquoise water, white sandy beach. And all those villas right by the beach. Yeah, the yellow villas. Uh, It just reminds me of like Telethon Channel 7 (laughs) personalities, but like not in a bad way that I've come to uh, be a bitted in person (laughs) with regards to those things. Yeah. It's kind of like everything that Perth is meant to be promoted for. Mm. That's how I think of it, and yeah, you, know, you pick it on a, a good day, and it's a just amazing place.
0: Yeah, I, I think sometimes I I get really, hmm. Sometimes I get a little bit uh, annoyed when people talk about how amazing the beaches are in Perth per se, because I think you know you go down south and the beaches in sort of the Albany Esperance Denmark area are just significantly more interesting. But I think that the beaches here made me go, oh, I love, I just really want to go for a swim. The water is so beautiful and crystal clear. And it, I think it does the Perth region proud.
1: It does. Because Perth beaches, because we're such a long coastline, mm. and you're going basically groin to groin most of the time. Um, so Rottnest, what there's 60-odd beaches which means there's going to be cliffs and bays and there's just a lot of variety. Um, there's not just one big stretch of sand, it's got character and little nooks and crannies you can explore. So in that term, yeah, it's probably better than the Perth suburban beaches. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, Geordie Bay, definitely one of those great ones because it is just a, like a crescent shape. Perfect white sand, turquoise water to start with, and then you can
0: go in where all the boats are parked and you've got little reefs and
1: snorkeling opportunities.
0: Yeah. It almost looks like some kind of an island you expect to see in the Mediterranean or something with all the villas on mm. the side. Yeah, if only. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, at least we
1: don't have to, to pay European prices if we want to go to that beach. True. <laughs> There's no
0: 20 to 80 euros to reserve a little
1: little platform.
0: Yeah. I think to me, the bit after Geordie Bay from Longreach Bay through the basin to Pinky Beach was probably my favorite part of the walk, mm. just because the beaches there are quite rugged. And I just found the walking really interesting. It really reminded me, and made me feel a bit um, like I missed the Cape to Cape because <laughs> there were certain elements of it. the The, the sort of limestone cliffs really yeah. made me think of that. Yeah, no, I'd agree. Yeah, it's yeah. Definitely coming from Geordie Bay
1: and then you go onto Long Reach Bay, it's yeah, definitely got more of a yeah, a wilder experience, even though you can sort of still see the villas on that side. Mm. Um, but yeah, definitely the basin. Excellent snorkeling spot. We didn't snorkel when I did this walk, but when we came back and did the other walk, we made a point to go to the basin to go snorkeling. Awesome. Yeah. A lot of fun. Very easy to, to access as well. Yeah, but the water is cold. We went in February, which you'd expect the water to be quite warm. It yeah. was freezing.
0: <laughs> it's also this this section is the only part of the walk that is apparently the class four bit because they they rate it as a class four. And I was thinking, mm. really, class four? This mm. is a pretty easy walk. Yeah. But this bit, I think, I think because it's a bit more natural surfaces because yeah. it goes that bit where you go through the dunes and you follow the sort of limestone. Yeah, because the limestone it's quite jagged
1: and. Mm. yeah on the sandy bits you, if you're just wearing like no shoes it can be quite treacherous um, yeah but yeah i understand where that come from i mean we're a risk averse society in wa so i have no problem with that being a class four there
0: yeah so i think i think if you were to skip this bit it's pretty easy otherwise and even this is not that hard but i can see why mm. they might say okay well just just be be aware it's <laughs> yeah. not that easy <laughs>
1: And then we move on to Pinkies Beach, Mm -hmm. which was my first ever Rottnest experience. Um, I'd not been to Rottnest as a kid. We used to do an annual cricket trip um, to kind of get the families together and go over. And I was probably in my early 20s when I went. And yeah, had a good fun. We played a lot of beach cricket on Pinkies. It's a nice spot to be with the the lighthouse there. Another great swimming beach as well, although it does get quite deep quite early.
0: Oh, right. One of the things i really enjoyed was that you can see the perth cbd from mm. pinkies which yeah it's really interesting because you know a lot of the walks in say yeah, you know, city of armadale they always are talking about oh spectacular views of the cbd yeah. and i kind of don't care yeah but this was really <laughs> cool what seeing it from you know because how often do you get to see perth from across the water the like water, the- yeah
1: unless you're coming in from a ship which is yeah, who does that yeah Yeah, very rare. And yeah, because I went on a Tuesday when I did this walk to take advantage of the $39 telethon deal. Mm -hmm. So I just took that one day off. And I just remember getting to that point and just being like, I'm not there today. This is a great day. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, there's certainly, I know there's one Instagram account called Up Dreaming. And he or she takes some amazing photos. And that's one spot at sunset that they like to go to because you get pinkies and the lighthouse and the cbd all in one shot mm. it looks quite quite spectacular
0: and the lighthouse is pretty cool
1: yeah i mean it's not the biggest lighthouse on the the island no but it is yeah a significant one because it is the closest lighthouse to the main settlement yeah um yeah it's probably the one you'll see most in Rotness photos Mm. Yeah, it's just, it's a lighthouse. It's cool.
0: Yeah, I think it's that's also added to the Cape to Cape esque feel of the trail. Mm. To you know, get to go see this 1900 lighthouse. Yeah, it's not not 135
1: kilometers lighthouse. A lighthouse on this trail. So <laughs> no. yeah, mini Cape to Capes. <laughs> yeah, apt.
0: Um, and then from there you're back at Thompson Bay.
1: Yeah, you kind of loop around. There's that little cottage there can't remember what that's for though i think
0: it was the old uh lighthouse keeper's cottage yeah yeah
1: and you can do can you do tours there we I didn't so yeah neither do i yeah, Dubai, We skip past yeah and then you're at thompson's bay and they got that kind of boathouse on the beach it's got the cool old doors
0: yeah that used to be what was it for like a life-saving kind yeah. of thing wasn't it, it? Have been, yeah yeah
1: and then yeah pie at the bakery or
0: yeah, we had a pie at the bakery. Not a ten on a plate. Not a ten on a plate. No, but we did have a pie. Uh, it was nearly stolen by a magpie, <laughs> uh, and there was a lot of quackers trying to pick at my shoes yep. and around my feet. And I'm sure you probably had similar.
1: Yeah, they're very nosy creatures, and there are signs saying don't feed them. But I'm sure they get fed quite a lot. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's just amazing that there's such a difference between the settlement quakers and the Quakers on the rest of the island.: Oh, that's yeah, that is true. Yeah Because the ones on the rest of the island, they like to yell at you if you try and take selfies if you can get that close. They run away. Um, but yeah, the, I don't know what the fascination is. Maybe they've been told take selfies with the tourists, <laughs> promote the, the island but yeah, They seem to almost embrace it, yeah, as if they think phones are food. Maybe yeah. there might be something for them.
0: You can get so close and they just don't seem to care. It's
1: They're almost just... like they yeah, they know what to do. When you've got a camera there They're like they oh. stick their head in and they <laughs> get right up close and put on <laughs> these cute expressions.
0: Yeah. And yet funnily enough, you know, they were talked about as being the happiest animals in the world and you know, that kind of thing. Mm. But we saw two of them fighting each other. <laughs> but then <laughs> they were friendly with all the people. <laughs> yeah. Friendly to people. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, great. Great walk. I think it's a really good introduction to the
1: island. Mm. And especially if you're only there for one day and you only want to do one walk, starts and finishes at the same point. No yeah. need to get um, a bus, which, as we'll talk later, is a bit inconvenient and expensive for yes. what it is. Yeah, very. Yeah.
0: So maybe we'll move on to the Nyat Yurubiti, since they that's the next one that comes from the settlement, and yeah. it's the one that you've missed.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I'll actually talk about the Nat this time. <laughs> yeah. So again, start to the settlement. So you wander down to um, one of the jetties, um, which is further west of the, the settlement. This is the one that's steeped in World War II history, which again, before I went, I knew it would have kind of been involved, but to the extent that it is, um, I was quite surprised at how Rotness was used as a defence point for World War II. Given that Perth is so isolated, there obviously was the threat of... German U-boats popping up anywhere in the world because they did in World War Two. But this one used to be the Bickley Battery Walk and mm. there are some quite large guns at this point and then you take the coast there and it's quite interesting and you walk past a lot of the accommodation. But the real fun is when you hit the railway lines and the old guns because you get to read all the information boards, kind of like a, a peek through someone's eyes Um, at a few stations to see how they would have lived in that time and kind of take you back into a world that... I mean, it wasn't that long ago, Mm. yet it was a completely different world. Yeah. Like, there was that threat that the world was at war. Anything could happen and we need to protect ourselves. Mm. Whereas now, wars, even though it's quite a modern way, it's still a million miles away from happening. Mm. Touch wood. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah,
0: um, just the way they set up the island for
1: defense it's quite interesting
0: i think that that's something that i haven't done this particular walk but having done the other two that i found quite impressive was that the interpretive panels i think were really good because mm. you can look at it and they explain to you what this thing you're looking at is which might be opaque if you didn't have that there
1: yeah and again it's taking you back to that time why did we need this? What was the threat? Because, I mean, not everyone's a World War Two history buff, especially having a lot of tourists come and, you know, Perth isn't this happy, sunny place it's always been. There was a threat once. Mm. Um, it was educational. And, you know, you don't normally get educated on hikes, so yeah, another element to it. Yeah, And then this is where kind of the interesting nature bit of the hike comes. So once you leave the big battery guns um, at Bickley Bay, You kind of snake around in the grasslands and apparently there's an old cricket pitch in there which I couldn't find. used to be a cement block that they used to play cricket on. Um, I'm not sure how. They would have scored very many runs because it is quite grassy and very hilly too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then you move on to another one of the old... It's not a battery tower, but I think it was more of a lookout tower and it's a two-story building which you can still go in and have a look around there's just a few plaques in there unfortunately there's some graffiti which I know they're quite good at removing and noticing quite quickly Mm -hmm. and then you cross over the road again and you come to one of the more interesting features on the trail which is the art sculpture okay Um, it's made out of recycled material and it's kind of the shape of an an angel looking out so there's wings spread I think it was done by a local artist and just another thing because it's That area is not particularly enjoyable on the eye. There's a lot of coastal scrub and it just feels like you're winding around. So to come to a point and there's an information board and a sculpture and again, it comes back to being sustainable with the wind turbine um, kind of... Making something out of recyclable materials kind of brings you back to what
0: rotness should be about, and that's, yeah.
1: you've got to get rid of your waste properly.
0: And great to have something like that, if you say it's in a boring part of the track, to have something that makes it a feature, mm. is kind of well thought out. Probably something to consider for uh, Burnt Jarrah Forest. Yeah,
1: get some local artists in there. Well, they've got the, the Swarbrick Forest, which is carry, but yep. a <laughs> good way to liven it up. And then from there, this is probably the most uninteresting part of the walk. You, it's a point A to point B sandy track. It um, takes mm. you past the airport. You go over the railroad again, which provides an interesting um, photo point. But then you hit the lakes again.
0: Oh, so this one this one takes in the lakes as well.
1: Yeah, so it's, I think it's Serpentine Lake. Okay. I think it's Serpentine Lake. And we saw some Australian shell ducks there and this is when you also get to see the Wadjamup Lighthouse which is the main lighthouse in the middle of the island. Um, So you scoot around the lake and then you finish at Oliver Hill so you take the railway roads up um, and you finish at the station and there's more battery guns at the highest point of the island so it's a nice vantage point to finish from because you can see where you've come from. You can see the settlements, the lakes, up Lighthouse, and then you can do tours if the volunteers are there of the batteries to mm. get a yeah an insight into how it all worked and the lives of the people that operated it all. Yeah, and then that's the end of the Natura.
0: And from there, does the next trail starts from there or
1: the next one is the Warden Nara? Nara. So around Oliver Hill, you can check out various little sections. They've got bunkers and um, the old plotment rooms where they used to kind of tell you where to fire and do all the maths and everything. So I think you, the actual era continues on to a little bit until you hit the road. It's not terribly well thought out the way it starts and finishes. mm but the warden Nara actually starts further
0: south. Okay,
1: So we'll get onto that one. So this one did in February this year, and it, you need to take the bus out to the start. You can walk there obviously, but that's probably an extra seven or eight K's added onto your day. Mm. So to get to the warden Nara Biddy, the start, it's you take the bus out to Porpoise Bay, which is the number, the fourth bus stop on the route. So when we were there, it was February, and it started raining on the bus, so we're a bit worried. (laughs) We all had our gear with us, um, so it wasn't a problem. When we got there, it stopped, and you kind of start by walking on the road, and there's only, obviously, one road that loops around the island, so you kind of have to be a little bit careful. But that does cut back into the the bush, so you do get um, some dune walking. Then you go out to Parker Point, which is a good spot a very popular spot for snorkeling there's two marine trails either side of the point that's where i got one of my more favorite photos from this trip you kind of have a boardwalk set of stairs looking down going to one of the bays
0: oh yeah yeah i remember seeing that and thinking that looks awesome
1: yeah so you're looking out at the point and then you know you've got the boardwalk pointing you out there and it's yeah turquoise water again nice beach it was early in the morning when we went, so we had our snorkel gear with us, but we thought, mm, we'll keep our, our powder dry <laughs> and finish the day with a snorkel. But yeah, take your gear and yeah, go for a snorkel because there's a couple of trails there. One will be sheltered slightly depending on the winds. Yeah, and then there's Little Salmon Bay, which is to the west of Parker Point, which will probably be a bit more exposed with the southwesters um, that stream in from the roaring 40s. And then you move on and you join the road again but the road isn't so bad because you get some better views, I'm looking towards Salmon Bay, and this is where the famous um, osprey nests are. So it's a little off trail, but you go down to the water, and there's a little little island not far offshore. It's easy enough to photograph um, with the zoom, and we were lucky enough to see an osprey land on the nest, and you can sort of see the chicks, but it's cool to have the the big osprey there. And there's a little interpretive board as well telling you you know the nesting periods and how many they have and yeah it's it's kind of cool to see that and then you loop round salmon bay is again like geordie bay it's a very picturesque place you get the boardwalks go down yeah lots of tourists there when we
0: were there yeah we we went past here in the bus to get to the one that we did and this is probably where we saw the most tourists i think
1: mm. yeah i'm not sure what it is because like, it's a very large beach, but I probably wouldn't say it was the best on the island. And it's inconvenient to get to as well, so yeah. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe they get told to go there and get some information that that's the best beach. But yeah, I mean, this is where you do a lot of your beach walking along here. So instead of going in the, the scrub and um, winding your way around, you're actually on the beach. Um, I think we had a little, Aaron brought a little football, so we're chucking that up and down. Lots of bird life. Yeah, being positioned where it is, there's probably lots washed up on the beach. Um, if you enjoy beachcombing, which my girlfriend does, it's very entertaining for you. And at the end of the beach, you've got, I'm not sure how to describe it. It's it's an installation and you wind wind it up and it, there's a voice comes out. I think it's, um, it's a local Noongar telling you a story about the bay. Um, it was quite fun because you, you, know, you wind it up and you're standing there staring at this place and someone's telling you some history and some stories about it I'm quite pleased that they put that in mm. and then from there you wander inland to the Wajamart lighthouse so it's not a terribly interesting section because it's quite sandy and um, when we were there in February it was quite yellow and dry but the the lighthouse itself is quite interesting you can do a tour it is the largest lighthouse on the island again good views um, looking back towards um, the settlement and oliver hill we didn't spend a lot of time there but you can if you want to um we yeah decided we would kind of try do two walks in the day which didn't end up happening but we moved on and this is where you get to wild rot Nest, i think because you you're in the dunes this may have been where they've cleared the most land because it was just grasses even though you're quite inland but I enjoyed it. And again, it's a different side to Rottnest that you're not exactly expecting. Um, and this takes you all the way to Strickland Bay, which is a good surf spot, I'm told. Yeah, and there's another little little beach. And then you finish up at the Rocky Bay bus stop. So it is good that they start and finish at a bus stop. Yep. But the the trapping of that is you need to to pay for the bus, which is eighteen dollars a day. Is it? I one think, way i
0: think so it might have been even i think it might be even 20 now okay so it's um it's very expensive i think for what it is it's a kind of an a monopoly because you're kind of stuck you have to pay to get around the island yeah and i think they've done that on purpose maybe to try and encourage people, encourage people, yeah. people to catch the service because unless you're planning on walking the Nyant Yorubiti, the wadanarobidi and then the Kalinyabiti... And then walk to Geordie Bay and then catch the free bus back. Yeah, uh, and that's quite a quite an effort if you're going to do that. It's
1: twenty odd k's, which if you're taking your time because it's not a you know a trail that you would blaze through. You'll want to stop and take photos and everything. It's gonna take up most of your day. Yeah, and then you've got
0: a ferry to catch home. So <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think it's it's been sort of cleverly designed to make money mm. in that sense and yeah you can do it but i think one of the things that is a little i'd say as a slight criticism but an acceptable sort of issue with the trails is that you can't really walk the whole one up biddy as a trail because you have to double up sections or miss bits to do it
1: yeah i agree but at the same time like i've enjoyed going back so you don't have to do them all at once mm. um it's yeah a lot of fun to come back on re- repeat trips yeah but one thing for the bus that I will say is if you get the right driver, there's a good commentary oh, going yeah, around. Oh, definitely. It is like I learned quite a few things about the island I wouldn't have
0: picked up had we not taken the bus. Mm. So there's that. Yeah. <laughs> so from the end of the Waden Narabidi is the start of the Bidi, which is the trail that I've done. Yeah. And it's a bit of a contrast to the other side of rotnest i think the north side seems to be less popular
1: yeah but also from what i've read it has the best snorkelling and the best beaches so it's maybe it's just cuz you have to travel all the way to the other side of the island to see it
0: yeah cuz the bus only goes clockwise yeah
1: and people either they're riding their bikes or they take the bus and they get out and then they get back on the bus it's not no one would think to walk that mm. but now there's a walk trail maybe yeah. more people will
0: Hopefully, because I really enjoyed this walk. I think more than the Gabi Canini, I think the Carlinia Trail really reminded me of particularly the Hamlin Bay section of Cape to Cape mm. in that it was a lot of rugged coastal walking. And I think the majority of the trail, if not the whole trail, is graded as class four because of it. So you start at Rocky Bay and it's just basically you go through bits of heath and then you drop down to the beach and you explore the beach. And each beach is just really interesting. I think there's a lot of little rocky coves, more so than some of the coastal sections in the Gabi Kanini. Mm. And the thing that I really enjoyed about it was that they were basically completely empty. There was very few people here mm. and you get this sense of wildness to the coastline, which I think was really enjoyable. And a lot of it is on sort of unmodified terrain so you're walking along rocky shelves and then they take you up onto trails and they'll the the trails will then take you to things like picnic areas and toilets and bus stops and things like that Mm. but the bit of it that i really enjoy because this is only a short trail but there's there's a bit of it where you descend to a beach and then the trail goes along this rocky shelf that is right along the beach and then just just these Sort of low cliffs behind it, and you have to kind of walk along that, and then climb up through the cliffs to go along it. And I can imagine in rough seas, it's probably a little bit dangerous. Mm. But I think that it was just really enjoyable to have this, and I can see how, as you said, that there's probably really good snorkeling in this part because there's probably more rock underneath the water. If you know, if there's a shelf right there, there must be more limestone out to the into the water.
1: Mm. Leanne from Way Too Much Coffee had a trip over there and I think this is the section that she did and she did it very leisurely. I think they took a beach shelter and some food and it's one of those trails that you could probably easily, even though it's, what, seven kilometres long, you could easily spend six, seven, eight hours just kind of picking up and exploring new places and not really caring how fast you're going.
0: Yeah. I think we were doing this in the afternoon heat, so we were trying to (laughs) rush it a bit bit more. But yeah, you're right. You could easily take your time with this and really enjoy it. Uh, I will say that because it was the afternoon sun, the photos look really awesome. Because Mm. the blues are just this rich blue and against this sort of white of the limestone. And there there are bits of it that kind of go along... The roads, but I think they've they've done quite a good job in that. It uses the road briefly, and then you get back off it, and you're back onto purpose-built walk trail, and then they take you to beaches. And the beach walking, see, I'm I'm not someone who doesn't like beach walking. You know, some people really hate beach walking, but Mm -hmm. I I think it's if you enjoy beach walking, this is really good. And the beaches aren't hard to walk on either.
1: Yeah, I think being in small doses helps quite a lot. You're not spending five kilometres. On yes. soft sands like you are on some sections of the Cape to Cape or the Billman, so it's kind of yeah you're on a beach and then you're cliff walking and yeah
0: yeah so it keeps it interesting and we saw a fair few of the uh, more shy quackers along this this yep. stretch of the track and there was a re- really funny thing is that all the toilets along this stretch probably because there's less people around they've got little doors that block <laughs> <laughs> block the quackers from getting into the toilets. <laughs> Because <laughs> obviously it must have been a problem of, of them yeah. probably looking for water and then getting in stuck in toilets and yeah. stuff. <laughs> but all these little, um, these toilet blocks in the middle of nowhere have these low, low doors just for the Quokkas. <laughs> That's
1: hilarious. That's, uh, and they would actually be little drowned rats there. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Um, and then towards the end of the trail, it goes past some really beautiful beaches because there's a bit where it goes along sort of like the cliffs and it overlooks the beaches and there's similar kind of wooden stairs to what you were pointing out mm. on the uh, the water narabidi that lead down to these beaches and we ran into a volunteer who she'd not been to this particular part of it and she said oh mm. it's beautiful and i don't know why there's no one on this beach and we didn't go down to the beach but we we both said that we would probably like to to try it someday mm. and just have a look and see and then it goes through sort of grassland as it brings it back to the lake system. And it comes, it takes you out of Lake Baghdad and joins on to the Gabi Kanini at Little Lorikeet Bay. And there's a bus stop there, which you can use to take it back. Or if you want, you can continue on the Gabi Kanini to Geordie Bay. And there's a shuttle bus that used to be free. But now I think it's a slightly cheaper rate. Mm. So we, we didn't because we had to catch the bus out anyway to Rocky Bay. So we just yeah, so you back. had to pass anyway. Yeah. yeah. But I think a really enjoyable. You know, it's only five point nine k's actually. Okay. I think. So it's it's a very short walk compared to the others. So the all others are more in the nine sort of nine k yeah. region.
1: Yeah. Nine
0: nine ten k's. But I thought it was a really enjoyable one, and one that I'd happily do again.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to doing that. I'm definitely taking the snorkeling gear and taking it slow, which yeah. I think is the the best way to enjoy these walks. Is not to rush them and appreciate what there is. So there is a fifth walk, which we haven't done because it is not yet completed, which Mm -hmm. is the Nyak Wenbidi, and that one really looks like it's going to be a good one. It does take in, it's like a tiny little peninsula almost um, on the the very western side of the island, which is the very wild Mm. fauna populated
0: area. Yes, there's a seal viewing platform that they've built, which is part of the trail. Mm. And they've built that first because obviously they want to make a feature of it. But I think when they do finish this, this will probably be a rival for the Gabby Canini as probably one that you really have to do. Yeah, definitely. And, and a big thanks has to go out to Ailee, who
1: is the trails coordinator. Um, she's done a fantastic job um, definitely, getting yeah. this off the ground. I know it's not been easy. Um, I think they were still looking for funding Um, earlier in the year for this fifth and final trail. But she was definitely a delight to kind of bounce
0: ideas off and provide feedback to. Mm. It's interesting that they've kind of, because I think... Everywhere else in WA at the moment seems to be focusing on cycling trails and building that because there's been a shortage of that. Mm. Whereas Rottnest has been probably one of the most cycling-friendly places, and now they're making it a walking-friendly place.
1: Yeah, definitely There's some money going into it. And being Rottnest, obviously, that's going to attract a lot of money too. Yeah, Um, Lottery West has put up a lot of funds for this. So, yeah, happy that we've got more walking trails.
0: Yeah, and one that you can do 365 days, which is not the case for a lot of walks in perth where they get dry and not that exciting after um spring finishes
1: yeah so Rottnest, it's a good good hiking destination i think a lot of people there's a certain stigma around Rottnest that it's too expensive and this and that but as a day trip if you pick the right day um there's a new um ferry service that's gone in that's cheaper than the existing one or you can go on the Tuesday
0: when you've got the $39 tell on deal we were lucky we got uh, 39 just on a Saturday so. just every now and then they'll they'll do an offer so just keep an eye out I think shop around keep an eye out and when there's a deal take it yeah it cool. doesn't have to be an expensive
1: day and if you're walking I mean you buy a little bit of food in the the settlement but I mean your costs are going to be a bus some drinks, some food, and it's not not that expensive. you don't have to stay the the night or for a week. You mm. can just come over every now and then do one or two trails, and
0: that's your day exactly, so that's rot nest and the wadjanup Biddy. Let's move on to talk about uh some of these q and a questions we've been getting, mark
1: yeah, so we've got. A question from Mark on the email, and he's actually not got, not you, not me. I'm <laughs> not e- I'm not emailing just to get some content. <laughs> um, he's asked quite a lot of questions on equipment, so we'll go through the list um, one by one. Um, the first one being backpacks. So he wants to know what to look for in a backpack, features, sizing, volume, etc. So I know you've got a different backpack set up to most people so yeah I talk through yours
0: I, I am one of those weird people who has an iron backpack mm-hmm. and i think the the iron backpack brotherhood and sisterhood are probably a bit cult-like about their their packs and i have to admit that i'm one of these cult members yeah so the reason they're so different
1: is you've got a front bit and a back bit
0: yep yeah. so the idea about it is that it should give you a more balanced load so they call balance pockets the front bits And what it does is you put things like your water in the front and those are the heavy items and then that helps your posture. And I've got a lot of neck and shoulder issues. So this to me has been probably the most comfortable and ergonomic backpack I've had Mm -hmm. and used because it's helped me with my issues. So since, since using it, I've had a lot less problems of neck pain and shoulder problems and yeah i think that they're really good backpacks They're they're designed to be waterproof to a degree probably more weatherproof than waterproof Mm. and they're pretty sturdy the the harnesses are very comfortable and i've heard people say that some women don't find them comfortable because of the front pouches but then i know some female hikers who use it and say that it's fine yeah, I guess
1: it just depends on the person. But one thing I like about those backpacks is you have access to what you want in the front. Yeah. You're not always trying to take it off or, you know, put your arms way over your back and fish for stuff. So that your water bottles are in the
0: front. You can put snacks in, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I have my, generally, the guidebook and maps or mm. my camera in the front. So that makes it easy. So I'm not, you know, having to stop to get my maps or walk with it in my hand, which mm. is, is good.
1: For me, I've just got a 65 liter. It's actually a mountaineer's pack. Um, so I've got little bits on the the hip straps for my ice picks, oh, which yep. I use quite often <laughs> in WA. Yep. Uh, but in terms of size, you, it's really up to what you use it for. My thinking is the bigger the backpack I have, the more I'm probably going to stuff into it. Correct. So yeah. I try on the multi-day hikes, I've got my big pack. But it just depends on personal preference i know osprey do they've always raved about them from um, what i've heard on the internet and passing people in on the billman but my only advice in getting a backpack would be to actually get one in store and have someone fit it for you yeah because you can have the best backpack in the world and have it poorly fitted and you're going to have back problems and this and that and most of the time, they will offer advice on how to pack as well, which I think is more important than the backpack that you've got. Mm. Um, so in terms of that, it's keeping you, the bulk of your weight close to the
0: mid-back and then having the less bulky items at the extremities of the pack. Yeah. I, th- I didn't buy my un um, in store, and it took me a while to get it right. So if I had bought it in store, probably it probably would have been quicker to get that right but it took a lot more trial and error Mm. and I think that's an important thing is that it you really do need to before you go on a multi-day hike do some trial and error uh, practice hikes with your new pack yeah because you're paying more be paying for that advice and you're also
1: supporting local stores as well which I think people tend to forget yeah in this day and age of internet shopping so the next one I And I'm able to answer this one. It's all about trekking poles, which I've never used, and I'm not particularly fussed about whether I use them or not. So I'll pass this one on to you, Don.
0: I I really like them. I've used them for long enough that I I feel weird to not have them. When I first switched to using poles, I had one pole, and it was this very elaborate wooden kind of. (laughs) I think it was a Gandalf stick. It was a Gandalf stick. It definitely was a Gandalf stick. It was heavy. It was impractical looked really cool um but probably contributed to my shoulder problems <laughs> it was all in the left hand yeah. so i i regret that in that sense um but i switched to uh black diamond ergo cork trekking poles yep. and they to me are really good they've got they've got bent handles so they're a bit like the uh count dooku lightsabers and that they have that bent shape but i find that that's actually really good for walking because kind of follows the the curve of your hand yeah and they're, yeah, they're very good and they're quite sturdy. Alyssa has a cheap pair that that used to be mine because she keeps breaking <laughs> sticks, so I just have given her a cheap pair because we've gone through quite a few. <laughs> yeah, that's sensible advice.
1: So yeah, the, the main kind of benefit of using the trekking poles is obviously if you've got knee problems or you're not quite sure of um, your stability, to be able to provide that extra support, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't really have a, a non-wankery explanation as to why I don't use them, but I like engaging my core and thinking about where I'm stepping. Mm. Um, yeah, definitely, I think if I use poles, I would rely on them too much, but having not used them, <laughs> I'm not entirely but sure.
0: I think you're right, because I think that's why Alyssa keeps snapping them, is because she puts her weight on them and uses them to prevent her from falling or something like that, so mm. that's why they end up breaking regularly <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay so the next question is boots versus sneakers Are sneakers are they just comfortable um and also are they suitable for hiking i think this one again depends on the situation i would not use trail running shoes for long distance hiking but day hiking i think they're a better alternative to the big boots
0: hmm what are your thoughts? I I used to be one of those old school hardcore boot guys who wore like the heavy leather boots. And I can tell you that they are very fatiguing after a while. You know, they, they to me are the only shoes that are properly waterproof. A lot of shoes claim to be waterproof. They're not waterproof. Mm. That's, that's the strength of, of leather boots. But having switched to lighter boots, I think that lighter boots are probably the best middle ground. Because I think I've twisted my ankle so many times on hikes i just did it last weekend mm. and there's no consequences because i've had that support but i can imagine that in sneakers that it would be a problem so i'm i'm not a sneaker person but i definitely think that lightweight boots are probably a good middle ground but i see why some people prefer them because they are lighter and if, you, if you're if you all about the ultra light and they say that you know the more weight you have in your shoes, the harder it is to walk. It's you know it's worse than than the the kilos in your backpack. Hmm. That I can see the advantage of it, but it's not my not my jam.
1: Yeah, I tend to think of it like unsprung weight in a car. So if you've got big heavy wheels and tires on your car, it's harder to rotate them using more energy. Same with if you've got big heavy boots is. That's an extra 500 grams or 200 grams, whatever, on each foot um, that you then have to lug up and down up to 30,000, 40,000 times a day. So, obviously, if you're comfortable with what you've got, then work with that. But if you're finding you're having issues with sneakers on long hikes, then I definitely recommend getting boots because they are more comfortable, as you said. You can get ones that are waterproof now. And the new ones that I just got this year... I don't even worry about walking through puddles. Feet stay dry. They're amazing. Mm. And definitely help with um, blisters as well because they are more comfortable on the feet. Okay, uh, next question is minimum first aid. I'm going to admit I'm not fantastic on this particular area. I don't normally carry more than some Panadol, some Band-Aids and maybe some
0: bandages. That's about it. The part of that that is, I guess, the question is the minimum Mm. because I think when we go on a day hike, I probably carry very little, but when we're doing a multi-day, we have a medikit, and Alyssa's got quite a good medikit that she's put together for us. Mm. I don't really know what's in there because I trust that she's managed it, but we have a lot of things. like We have all the different bandages, if there's snake bites or sprains and things like that. We've got just the the normal band-aids for small cuts. We've got the um, blister padding yeah. and things like antihistamine. We've forgotten sometimes to, to pack things, but we normally have like headache tablets, cold and flu, things like that. Mm. A pair of scissors, also some antiseptic, stuff like that in there. But when you say minimum, it's I guess that's the, the question, because mm. if you're an ultralight hiker who's prepared to do without, then some people carry even less than than i would consider safe mm. but that's something that i think you need to probably look at what you're doing how remote you're going and how heavy things are and where you can maybe make weight savings and other things that are not as crucial to life or death situations mm. and to add to that i would also say time of year obviously dead definitely. of winter
1: no need to bring the snake bite kit yeah. um yeah definitely in summer bring it same with maybe some tweezers and some wart off to get rid of the ticks. Mm. Yeah. I mean, for a day hike, the bare minimum is a few bandages, some blister packs and some Panadol, but definitely for multi-day hikes. If you don't mind carrying the weight, then the more the better. Yeah. Because it's something you're probably not going to use, but if you need it, it's going to affect you quite badly if you don't have it. Definitely.
0: Definitely. Next
1: question is, tips for avoiding and treating blisters on the trail. What have you done, Mark? (laughs) I used to get them quite badly. Um, The reason for that I found out is my boots were the right size, but they needed to be a half size bigger for hiking. Uh Um, So I've got bigger boots now. They're more comfortable. I paid more money to get the comfort as well. And then I've also switched to... The ingenious system of toe socks.
0: (laughs) Yes, you're very proud
1: of this one. I love my toe socks. Um, Yeah, there's like gloves for your feet Um, because I used to get blisters quite badly where my feet kind of fold over each other and then they would rub and get blisters. So this kind of provides a bit of padding in between there. And then on top of that, I just wear a pair of um, merino wool socks. Mm. And I mean, apart from 40 odd K training hike I did, and no blisters and even then that was a tiny blister yeah what have you done to to correct your blister issues
0: i think shoe size is a big thing you have to go a little bit bigger than you think it should be Hmm. because of that i have not had a blister touch wood in quite some time because i've broken in every time i've had a new pair of shoes i've broken them in on shorter walks Hmm. and i think that's really helped a lot in terms of preventing it I've had plantar fasciitis instead, Mm. but no blisters. Yeah, that's what's important. (laughs) And that's, you know, in the last few years, I've probably done a lot more. I've done more multi-day hiking in the last year and a half than I've probably done in my entire life combined, and yet no blisters. And that really is just uh, getting the right shoes that are, for me, probably a little bit wider than normal, getting them that are a little bit bigger, breaking them in, and probably spending a bit more on shoes as well. That mm. helps.
1: Yeah, definitely. When we were doing the Oxfam this year, there was a podiatry night on um, at Paddy Pallon and they had a podiatrist in and he gave us some tips and whatnot. And basically, if you start to feel a hot spot, tape it up. And also, if you're continuing to get blisters, go and see someone, go and see a podiatrist because it's probably, you'll need orthotics or you'll need something. mm but one tip he did offer up, if you do get blisters around kind of like a ring around your heel, it's most likely the insole, that kind of last little bit uh, that layers up. Yep. He just suggested cut that out because that's probably the rubbing that's causing it. Yeah. And he did say blisters were not actually caused by the rubbing of your skin on something. It's the upper layer of the skin rubbing on the tissue underneath. Okay. Yeah, and that that's makes where sense. the blister comes from. Yeah. I found that's quite interesting.
0: Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah.
1: And then the last question from Mark, he's (laughs) sent us in quite a few, Um, do you have any favorite bits of equipment or any equipment tips?
0: I enjoy my sleep system, which is all Cedar Summit, I've got a quilt instead of a sleeping bag and I really enjoy how small it gets. I enjoy the Cedar Summit mats even though they are terribly noisy yeah as you know you have the same (laughs) (laughs) same ones and i find the pillows very comfortable i think that that's been a big improvement on what i've had before i think the big thing for me has been over the last few years is i started out with a lot of kind of cheap gear and i've slowly been replacing them so everything's kind of gone and i've gone like i've had this let's get the better version and the the joy of having much lighter weight stuff I think has been really great I'm not a ultra light hiking fanatic mm. I still have cooked meals and you know have comfortable things but I think that that's really made a big difference so it's, it's not a single item but the overall experience of of getting better gear has been enjoyable
1: yeah I think that's an excellent tip as well as don't go out and just buy the best of everything to start with um, Buy something on the cheap, or you know, get it off Gumtree, or borrow it off a friend to see if that works for you, because then you'll know what to look out for in the future. Um, Definitely, yeah. Certainly, I started out with like a twenty-nine-dollar Kmart tent and sleeping bag that wasn't quite right, and I've kind of adjusted what I need, so I know I don't need to spend X amount on a sleeping bag. This will do. um Same with the rest of my gear. So I'm at a point now where I'm comfortable with everything I have. Mm. And it's not, not the money pit it used to be.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, on that point, you know, I, I think I pointed out to you guys when we did the Stilling Ridge walk that my Kathmandu raincoat has survived many culls <laughs> because I actually bought a North Face jacket. But for WA, it's, that's a complete overkill. Mm. So I've gone back to this quite basic Kathmandu mm. um, rain jacket and it does the job and is perfect for what it is. It even you know was fine in Tasmania in summer winter i not like winter get the north face in winter
1: <laughs> yeah yeah so in terms of my favourite bit of equipment I'd have to say it, it's something on the technology side I love my portable speakers <laughs> and just I don't know it's it's they were 20 odd dollars and to have them on either you know during the day or even just having my headphones in like hiking if it's dead silent I enjoy but I liked my music hmm so that would probably be my favorite bit of equipment. It's not really on par with nature and everything, but
0: it's good if you're stuck in a tent in the Stirling Range and it's yeah, pissing down. <laughs> exactly.
1: And they're not that heavy as well. So why not? Yeah, why not. Okay. Uh so we finish with Mark's questions and we move on to Paul has also sent an email through and he's curious about personal cleanliness and hygiene on multi-day hikes. So is bit of an email here and he's usually not in the best condition when he gets to a camp um wants some tips anything we can any advice we can offer up
0: i think it's one of those things where you're just gonna have to embrace it you know like i think unless you are lucky enough to get swimming holes that you can get into and you can wash in Mm. you kind of just have to take it i i don't go out of my way to wash i i make sure that i always have I probably carry more clean shirts than i need to i think some people wear the one shirt or two shirts i sometimes bring three on a like a week-long hike mm. and i try to keep one clean one for the last day so i i walk into town smelling the yeah. least <laughs> bad. Uh i think that that's an important thing but otherwise you know you can sometimes wash your clothes if if there are water holes so when we did bailing up to pemberton there's quite a number of riv- of rivers and um, there's a dam at one of the huts and things like that. So th- those things are really good too. You can wash a shirt, but I think just embrace it, man. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, I saw
1: a funny cartoon once, um, and it's a hiker and he's saying like, yeah, I smell like I've been out here for three days. And then the woman with him is just like, he sounds proud of that.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, there are a few little things you can do. Um, definitely wearing cotton, um, does not help your smell. Um, I tend to wear um, air knit type sports um, tops. Um, The ones that breathe, wick away the sweat, tend to not smell as much. One item that I always bring a lot of is socks because there's nothing worse than putting on bad smelling socks and they also double up as you wear them at night and then keep them for the end. But yeah, yeah, as you said, embrace it. If you really want to wash down every night, bring a microfiber towel. Mm-hmm. Um, wet that at the campsites and give yourself a once-over, maybe away from camp, if you're doing everything. <laughs> yep. But yeah, definitely um, when I've gone to other campsites, just a small towel and yeah, take the shirt off and wipe down. It's refreshing and keeps you clean at the same time.
0: And another thing which I sort of half jokingly said to Mark before we started this <laughs> podcast was... Just get wet every time there's rain. <laughs> yeah. you know, like if you if you don't wear a raincoat and just get wet all the time, that can be sometimes enough to get you, make yeah. you a bit cleaner. <laughs> Na-
1: Nature showers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely on the, the warmer. If you're hiking in warmer conditions, that's when it's more of a problem. But in winter, I tend not to notice myself smell. Not that... I'd, I'd probably get used to it and I'm sure people notice it, but I yeah. don't tend to.
0: Yeah, when we uh, when we finished the Overland, we thought we didn't smell that bad, but we ran into a couple and they were staying at the hotel that we were staying at afterwards. They said, yeah, you smell a bit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that's the, the email questions. And definitely keep sending them through to realtrailtalk at gmail.com or by Instagram or Facebook. Um, yeah, we love answering love hearing from you guys.
0: And so, gift ideas.
1: Christmas is coming. If you're leaving your Christmas shopping this late, you're either male or you're very busy. But there's still time. And us hikers, mean, we enjoy gifts. We enjoy the, the lighter side of life and getting out in nature. But there's also a few things that would be useful under the Christmas tree, wouldn't you say?
0: Definitely, yeah. I think one of the problems, perhaps, is that hiking gear is expensive. Very expensive. (laughs) So, you know, you're not going to be going out and buying someone a new backpack or a new tent or a sleeping bag because those are the big ticket items. But there are little things that I think are really useful. And one of the, you know, the lamest Christmas presents is probably the pair of socks. But in terms of hiking, they're actually really good. Yeah, very handy. Make sure they're not like Kmart socks,
1: although they can come in handy. But yeah, socks... Just little things, cliff bars, aqua tabs. Yep. Anything kind of hiking related that's like a perishable always goes down well. Mm. Um, yeah, definitely. I don't ask for any specific hiking gear just because it is expensive, and yeah. you know the economy the way it is, people are. And I guess we're kind of moving to a, a less materialistic society where, like, I don't feel comfortable asking for big things anymore. Yeah, me neither. Um, This year, I've actually um, asked people just to donate money um, to a cause, which if it's environmental, I'm all, all for. And there's a charity called Bush... not a charity, but it's an organization called Bush Heritage. And you basically get like a little postcard and that money, you know, is going directly into buying land for conservation purposes. But yeah, not everyone's like that. So, you know, if you're thinking of a hiker, think small, perishable...
0: Another thing that might be actually is a really good gift for a hiker is if you buy them membership to the Bilbleman Track Foundation if they're doing the Bibbleman Track because the discounts that I've had from signing up to that have been greater probably than the membership fee. Yeah, and you're giving back to the track. Um, I Definitely. think it's one of those things people
1: see it as free, but it's not really. There's a lot of time and effort and money that needs to go into the Bilman Track. Um, and there's a surprising amount of people that aren't members that probably should be yes um so if you know of a hiker buildman track membership
0: it's 65 dollars a year something like that um i think there's a concession rate and if you buy it before a certain time you can get competitive mm. prices but i think it's a really great present for someone who is maybe thinking of doing it an end to end because it really is invaluable and you're doing a good thing for a trail that is a really good trail yeah and also if you're doing an end-to-end you do get
1: a lot of support um some planning sessions and information and everything else you get magazines throughout the year even though they sometimes appear two or three years
0: later down the track in the campsites (laughs) yep yep (laughs) so yeah i think those are some pretty good present options and should give some people some ideas to think about in the holiday season
1: yeah And speaking of holiday seasons, we wish everyone a very Merry Christmas and New Year period. This will be our last podcast for 2017. So we'll see you in 2018, ready and raring to go.
0: Yes, looking forward to it.
1: Thanks for listening.